that's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one violent piece of furniture at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media. And I'm Carrie Flores from this podcast. And we are your hosts for Beauty and the Beastly Minute. And today we are talking about Minute 72, which starts off with Lumiere yelling, Now! for the ambush to begin, and ends with Gaston kicking open a door. Woo! This is an action-packed minute we're getting ready to discuss here, which means that there's not a lot of dialogue going on. <laughs> so we'll see how we'll see how long this takes to to talk about. Mostly, my notes are like, "Wow, I noticed this for the first time ever because I'm watching it frame by frame." Yeah, yeah. A lot of things there's like no way you can catch them unless you're watching it in slow motion or just looking at the frames individually. It's the beauty of animation, hiding all these little things in there. It's a pretty chaotic minute. I'm like, yeah. the people who animated just like had a ball with this one. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get into it. Um, the first note I have is that whenever Lumiere yells, now, which is pretty much the first second of our minute here, there must have been like a bunch of candles all over the place that we don't see because the whole room lights up and the the lights go up for them to start fighting yeah the only lights that i can see like the whole entire fight scene are the torches and lumiere so i don't know how these lights are going up in the middle of the night it's like it went sunshine outside or something all of a sudden well you can kind of see it when it gives us this aerial view that it's not the whole room that's lit up it's just kind of like a circular areas so there's probably a big chandelier that turned itself up whenever uh lumiere told it to Mm, that would make sense my first note is uh basically at the same time with lumiere making this like sly kind of face with his face all like twisted towards lafu and then that very next instant like a moment later He's doing this long, elongated face saying, now. And it's like in the total opposite direction. His face is all stretched as opposed to just a second ago is all like, you know, squunched in this sly little face. Like, we're about to get you. And this is impossible. He could not move his face that quickly. It's the exaggeration of the squash and stretch of animation. So we're actually going to see a lot of that in this minute where you jump. Because usually with animation, you have like point A and point B. Point A, he's got his face all squunched up. And point B is his mouth is really open. And, you know, in between those, you've got certain motions that they hit. So you say you got like three points between point A and point B. And those are your main kind of like, I forget what they call them, but those are your main frames that you're going to do. So you do the first two drawings and you do the three in between. And then you do the actual in-betweening, which is kind of just making sketches to go in between them. So that it all connects into, you know, a bunch of images that make a smooth motion. But depending on what you're going for, if you want the action to come a lot quicker, you know, you cut more of those out. And so you don't have as many frames. It makes it happen a lot quicker and, you know, gives it that sense of speed or urgency or, 
you know, surprise. And so I'm pretty sure you're right here that it is basically from one frame to the next. His face is all squashed and then it's completely stretched open as he's yelling now because it's it's happening in the moment. It's powerful. It's right there. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I didn't look into it for this minute, but I've looked into it in the past uh, about animation and, and video and stuff that they don't just do this in animation, like uh, in fight scenes and other movies, like in, in The Matrix or some of these other movies where they want you to have the feeling like, the, the person's super quick, you know, they'll take out a few frames from the film to speed up their action to make it feel like things are happening quicker uh, or they're ha- falling harder or whatever it is. So pretty interesting. I believe it. It does feel crazy fast when they cut the in-between bits. Yep. I did think it was funny watching this frame by frame because... You start out when we get this aerial view of the mob and they're just kind of looking around. They're checking out, you know, they, they've been creeping into this castle like, whoa, what's going on here? What's all this stuff? And when you look at it as the objects start moving, you know, they, they look more towards the objects and then they all start having these reactions to them, you know, like what? And then they all kind of stir together in fear and start like falling down and, and, and basically going into fetal positions as they get attacked by the objects. I mean, when you're watching it, it all happens so quick. You don't you don't get to see all of all the detail they put into this, but there really is. I mean, they got some some funny expressions, and they're they're small. It's all pretty small because we're up high. Um, but it's funny to go frame by frame and kind of watch them all changing from curious and nervous, but they just you know victorious that they just got into the castle to all cowering in fear and being attacked by plates. Well, and I wonder if they even purposely didn't make any of these objects right by the doorway like super expensive looking or anything because they are there to loot as well. You know, they're going to take all the booty they can find. Yeah. So like it's kind of interesting that the majority of the furniture that's there is just, you know, furniture. There's like not a bunch of silverware out or anything. Mm. So... They don't have a lot of valuables that they're already trying to rifle through or anything. So they are kind of just ignoring the objects that are in the front. Yeah. And they might even be wondering, like, is there going to be anything worth anything? Like, it looks like they left all the worthless stuff right here in the front way. Yeah. But, I mean, even it's not necessarily worthless, but it's not the nice stuff. But to these, you know, provincial villagers, even the other furniture is probably nice. It'd be nice to have take you home a dresser true very true speaking of dressers my next note is in second two when all of these dressers and tables and stuff are throwing books and vases (laughs) are they throwing stuff i thought the stuff was just kind of flying of its own volition it looks to me like the things were all like in shelves and dressers and on tables and they're the dressers and stuff actually kind of move and fling them off. Hmm. That would make sense. Yeah, I was going to say, my next note is uh, seeing who are the best fighters out of out of everybody. So let's hear that first. I have like a whole bunch of notes in second two, but <laughs> I'm guessing, <laughs> I mean, I have like three more for second two, but I'm guessing you might end up having some of the same stuff in your notes if you're analyzing all these people because i'm kind of just like wet mop spin to the face and drawer sandwich face and (laughs) oh yeah that that, that's yeah pretty painful stuff well i'm just looking at the uh the beginning of the fight here so i made a list of the best fighters the books are surprisingly effective they take out quite a few people just being books and attacking the barrel there's a barrel down in the corner it actually takes out two guys rolling over and runs them over 
Mm. Um, there's a trunk that jumps like 15 feet to the side and eats a guy. Uh, so that's not the one that rolls him up in his tongue later on, but there's one that just like jumps and devours somebody. A different trunk. Yeah, a different trunk. There's a chair that runs somebody down. The baker on the on the mob side, the baker guy, he's got the big handlebar mustache and the baker uh, apron. He's actually got a pitchfork and he kills a sofa. He he spears a sofa. There's a guy with a hoe and he's fighting a globe. He's doing pretty good against the globe. Uh, Mrs. Potts' dining cart takes out two guys. There's an old guy that just goes into a fetal position. The top hat coat rack, it's boxing a guy who has a huge nail and a stick. That's his weapon, a nail with a stick in it or stick with a nail in it. And then, like you said, the, uh, the mop takes out this guy that's got like this horrible looking sickle that looks like it's about to fall apart. And just like mops him in the face, mops spin to the face. And the tete-a-tete sofa, it just runs away. It doesn't even do anything. It just like, it's not running to anybody. It just runs away from the fight. And nothing is attacking Gaston. He's just kind of at the front of the front of the group. So he's not really in the middle of things, but nothing attacks him. Uh, Lumiere doesn't do anything to LeFou, doesn't drip hot wax or anything on him. And uh, LeFou's just looking around, checking everybody out as they get, you know, beat up by these objects. Yeah, I had a couple of notes on a, on a couple of those, like that guy with the the club with a nail in it. Like, what? Why is that a normal weapon in this time period? Or did he like, <laughs> did he rip it off of a table or something with the nails? I guess in it could it? be like a leg, and but that nails that's that's a big nail. Yeah, I feel like it's more just like a chunk of wood, and he's like, okay, let me stick a nail through this. I mean, it'd be a pretty pretty nasty weapon if you got hit with it. Yeah. But it's it's crude. And that, what do you call it? The S-shaped courting chair, tete-a-tete or something? The, yeah, the tete-a-tete courting chair. Yeah, I was like, what in the world? It just like, it looks like it's flying through the air, spinning. And it's just like going towards the stairs. It's like, why are you even here for the fight? If you're just going to run away and spin. Yeah, he just, he just took off. He's like, I'm out of here. He probably saw the uh, that baker kill the other sofa and was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> maybe. I was thinking maybe he was trying to aim for Gaston, but because of the S shape, it's hard for him to go straight, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he only has a spin attack. Give him benefit of the doubt. He can just spin and he can't really see where he's going. <laughs> that was my thinking, perhaps. Also, I was thinking during this time, what's with the three torches that the flames like are now looking suddenly ginormous. Like when you're looking at it frame by frame, when they were going into the castle, the torches were not very big. Like they were probably the size of, you know, their head. And now that, you know, the lights are up and that attack is happening, these torches are like, you know, three or four heads tall. That's because they're waving them around. Wave a torch around, it's gonna, the fire's gonna look a lot bigger. That much bigger? Yeah, oh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe that's why the lights went up. You start, <laughs> startle all these men with torches. That could Let be. Let me see. What else did I have in here? Oh, okay. So the the guy with the axe. So we got the guy with the axe. He's about to kill a dresser. And uh, he gets his face smashed from both sides by the dresser drawers. Here again, we get a bunch of the squash and stretch. So pretty unrealistic because his head... I mean, his skull, his whole head would just be like completely mushed. But yeah, it gets really elongated, really smashed. You've got a, a bunch of broken teeth. But the thing I really like about it is that if you slow it down, even if you're paying attention when you watch it at normal speed, right when his head gets like smashed, 
they threw in a frame of complete white just to kind of give the viewer that effect of like oh, the blinding pain of his head getting smashed. Mm. I think this is the only time we've we've seen that in the movie so far where there's just, you know, one frame of just solid white. It's not like oh, we had, uh, I think it was when Gaston threw the, threw the torch into the bonfire a little earlier. It took over the whole screen, but I, I don't remember if it was just, you know, a solid white frame. So they're kind of throwing that in there to make us feel the pain that this guy's going through. I wonder it's if pretty, that's pretty cool. I wonder if that's why this is one of the, you know, servant attacks on the mob that I actually think of when I think of this scene. I feel like I always remember this guy getting hit from both sides and having his teeth fall out. And then I remember the man later on that gets eaten by the the chest. Yeah. Well, they are there are some of the close-up attacks that we see. So they're a little more memorable. And the chest one is funny and this one's just painful cuz his teeth are all over the place. So that probably helped stick it in your brain as a child. Yeah, I had a lot of nightmares of my teeth falling out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really love um speaking of that chest eating the man like First of all, I never really noticed that he's about to, what is he doing? He has an axe and he's about mm-hmm. to go after this little stool and this chair like protects the stool and kind of like horse kicks him onto the rug and then the, the chest eats him up. And I just yeah. thought like, it's so adorable that they're protecting that little stool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it when I was looking at it. I was just like, man, these chairs are, they're doing a lot of the fighting. In the aerial shot, you see a lot of the chairs and they're kind of like boxing and running people over and stuff. So there, I, at first I was like, why would you bring a chair to a fight? But they're, they're doing a lot of the fighting. I and mean, we actually do on this part where the, I think he's one another one of the bakers, um, where he gets eaten by the chest in the background. You can see that there's a dead chair that's been shot three times with a bow and arrow. This kind of makes me think that maybe Gaston wasn't doing nothing. He was over there on the sides, just shooting people with his bow and arrow, or shooting objects as he killed one of the chairs. Yeah, we haven't seen anyone else with bow and arrows, but then Gaston only had three arrows a little while ago, we we took note of that in like our last minute or the minute before that. He only had three Uh-oh. three arrows in his quiver. So if there's three in that chair, he should be out. So somebody else must have brought some arrows. Hmm. Or maybe he retrieved them or maybe he didn't shoot them. But I didn't see anybody else with a bow. Yeah, I didn't see anyone else with a bow either. So mysterious arrowed chair. My other note here is that there's some real damage being done on both sides of this fight. I mean, you don't think about it as a kid when you're watching this cartoon, but there's a lot of broken furniture lying around. They don't show anybody, any people that are dead, but based on some of the damage that's done to them, they would be dead. So, I mean, we'll see another one here in a second, but there's some real damage going on. There's, it's going to be tough to, to reconcile this, you know, later on. When everybody turns back into people and they killed each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think before, well, not before when you're talking about, I have a note, second 11, where there's this, there's this great shadow, like you can't mm, actually yeah. see it happening, but there's a man and he's holding, I don't know what you call it. It's a mace. A mace. Yeah. This, you know, metal heavy weapon. And it looks like he's holding it and hitting himself. And I'm thinking... 
I don't think like any of the servants would have turned into a mace, but there were all those like suit of armor guys. So is he actually fighting a suit of armor guy? I mean, we didn't see any, but it's like, why would they not be here for this fight? Where are the suit of armor guys? (laughs) That's a good point. I don't think that he's fighting one of them. I think the mace is attacking him. But yeah, why aren't they here? They should have been lining the walls and ready to attack. But I guess that would have ended things too quickly. Yeah, probably. But I was just thinking, like, they should have been, like, you know, in Harry Potter, they've got those those uh, statue soldiers that are called upon to defend Hogwarts. Mm. Throwing in my other fan-ness. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, how many of those guys were there earlier in the movie when Cogsworth is, is like, as you were, after they're all looking at Belle? There's, like, at least a couple dozen in that hallway. Yeah. They're just absent from this fight. Like, are they stationary? Are they kind of only half animated? Like, only their head can move? Or I wonder about them. Hmm. I feel like they definitely could have helped with this fight. Yeah, no doubt. And then the first time I think we see Gaston, like, even being affected by this giant chaos of battle is in second 14, Gaston, like, dodges a spear before he turns to the stairs and i have never seen this before like i was like how did i miss this i just felt like gaston you know ran upstairs right away but i mean he was really close to the stairs when the attack started and yeah. in this second it's like he's in the middle of the hallway again, further away from the stairs, which might, you know, lead into maybe he was actually fighting. Yeah. But there's definitely a lot of destruction around him. I mean, we see a bunch of broken stuff. So uh, I'll give him the benefit of a doubt and say he was actually fighting quite a bit. Uh, But he does still have three arrows in his quiver at this point. So either he's already gotten them back or he didn't shoot them. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty cool how he dodges that spear. I was like, okay, so like he could have died right there. He's he's doing something. He has some kind yeah. of skills. Well, and then the our handlebar baker guy. Is he the baker? Oh, I can't remember who this guy is. But he's the handlebar guy that had the pitchfork and killed the sofa just a second ago. Something happened to his pitchfork. Now he has a shovel and he's getting beat in the face with a rolling pin. And... Here's where I think that the the smaller objects are actually animated themselves, but I don't get it because it's it's flying around and smacking him around in the face, like from different angles. So it's not like it's jumping, like we saw some stuff jumping around earlier and that makes sense. But this one's literally flying and just attacking him from the air and he's he gets beat pretty senseless here. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Like all of a sudden this rolling pin is just in the air and it just stays there for you know the three seconds or whatever that we're able to see it like how come i mean the mace too apparently was up in the air i guess it was being held by the man but i mean that's true they're kind of levitating themselves now self-defense mechanisms magic (laughs) magic well that's that brings us uh, at least in my notes to chip here in second 17 me too me too all right so going back to the beginning of the movie i believe what i had settled on was that this was a gasification machine and you know gasification powered instead of steam powered but it's most likely uh, based on the little spinny thing and the bellows and the uh the steam whistle that chip pulls 
it's probably just a steam engine, which doesn't make very much sense. I mean, I guess I guess it kind of could, but I'm just a little disappointed that it wasn't what I thought it was. It's a steam engine. But then he just pulls that, he pulls the whistle and that's all he does to control it. Like he doesn't pull any of the levers or some levers there to the side, which you would assume would be to make it move or go or do something, but it just starts going. What did Maurice do to make it work before? He pulled a lever too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he pulled some levers and got it chopping. Yeah, but before even that, how did Chip get these coals hot? He blew on them. Yeah, I don't think that would work. They show him blowing on these hot coals, and I'm thinking, how in the world are these hot in the first place? Where's his heat source coming from when he's got this invention out on the hill outside of Maurice and Belle's house? Like, plot hole. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much, uh, I don't think there's a good explanation for how the machine got out there. I mean, where was it the last time we saw it? Um, Philippe brought it back to Belle. Okay, so so we can assume that, that Philippe pulled it back, and this is the little meadow where Philippe ran to, which makes sense because it was right outside the cottage. And so Belle unhooked it and just left it there. I believe it was still covered last time we saw it. So maybe Chip uncovered it, and it already had the coal in it, and he somehow got it lit. <laughs> I feel like Belle was way farther away from their house when he showed up like she was running into that field towards that lake or whatever it was and she was far away from the house like maybe she met philippe halfway but i don't think it would have been right there at the hill next to their house but i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of a lot of magic in this minute because the it just starts moving how to get there how to get it lit but there's Chip saving the day. Well, and I remember when I was watching the commentary that they kind of did this as like an afterthought almost. They're like, okay, how are Maurice and Belle going to get out? And they were like, hey, we can use the invention. So yeah. they did kind of just be like, hey, we'll just pretend it was right here and reach and pointed the right way. And, you know, <laughs> like they just said, we'll make it work because they have to get out of there somehow. And obviously Gaston not stupid so he tried to trap them they have to have someone rescue them so it's got to be chip with an invention somehow this little cup can make it all work he's making it happen but my next thing is uh, you know another impossibility here with this chip scene is you know he's saying here we go and then he disappears yeah he is definitely not on the chair or the invention anywhere as it's going down or let me see. Yeah, I don't think he's on it at all as it's going towards the house. But definitely once it crashes into the cellar doors, he's not on that at all. Yeah, the last time we see him is when he says, here we go. And then, like, literally, he's gone. Here we go meant, I'm doing a magic trick. I'm going to disappear and show up somehow inside the cellar when he was on the chair. And the chair falls off, like, as the rest of the invention is going down. It kind of breaks off the chair and everything that was on the back. So, like, he wouldn't have even made it inside there. But, okay, let's say he did. Somehow... (laughs) He moved his position on the invention and he got inside. Okay, he would have been blown into like a hundred pieces during the explosion. And there's like no way he would have ended up on a spring. 
dangling there all in one piece minus his chip. Plus it looks like, well, I don't know if there's any other springs. There's probably other springs. But the main copper coil going to the teapot, which is what I thought he was hanging on. I guess it's probably not. Or it's, is it a copper? No, that's a rubber hose. The rubber hose, uh, it gets thrown outside, so it's not even inside. So he's on a different spring. Never mind. But yeah, he, he would have been blown up. Uh, when I first looked at it, I was like, Bell and Maurice would also be like completely steam burned and like have third degree burns all over the place if that boiler blew up in their <laughs> in the cellar with them inside mm-hmm. i was wondering what the explosion have really been that big that was a pretty massive explosion um i could see it being that big because you got to think of it i mean the fire is not really what exploded because that's just a bunch of coal but it's heating up you know this water under pressure so it's you got a bunch of steam under pressure and uh then you puncture that and it kind of explodes out and then hits the coals and you got all this hot steam and so that would that would explain the the big cloud of smoke and the noise but yet a few seconds later it's gone because all the pressure from the water's gone the water puts out the coals the coals didn't really blow up they just kind of steamed so that kind of makes sense and then they were both uh they had enough time to run flip a table and maurice and bell are safely behind a very thick looking wooden table yeah and i think they had all of like three seconds Maybe two seconds from when we last saw them to do all of that. I don't believe it was possible. But before even that, I have a note. Second 32 of this minute. Maurice is like, what the devil? Like, they're trying to figure out what this sound is. And I'm thinking, Maurice invented this. Why does he not recognize the sound of it, like, right away? He spent forever working on this invention. Now, see, I always figured... He was saying that more as like, how is it coming? Like, not what is it, but how is this happening? Why is this my invention coming down the hill towards us? Yeah, and her her face looks weird. I feel like it's always kind of bothered me a little bit. Like, as they're going down, her eyebrows are changed, but the rest of her face is just like so straight. Like, I do not think she looks worried enough about this. Like, it doesn't seem like a real, like, they just thought it was only for a couple seconds you could see your face. So, whatever. Like, don't worry about putting too much emotion there. I feel like they (laughs) they just put one face on her and that's the face she goes down the stairs with that holes. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's like, where's her facial expression? I mean, Maurice is the same, but I feel like they at least did a better job with his face looking really worried, whereas Belle just kind of has this blank face. Yeah, well, he's got... Uh, he's got his big chubby cheeks that kind of bounce up and down. So that gives his face a little movement. And then his expression does stay the same, but then his hair kind of bounces as he, he runs. And so you get a little more lifelike motion out of him and he's talking. Um, but yeah, Bill's just kind of like, once they got the right angle for her face, they just kind of scooched her down as they, (laughs) as they went out of frame. So she does look like kind of a, a Barbie being pulled out of the frame. Yeah, she does. And I also notice in this part with the explosion, because you see the explosion from outside the cellar, right? And mm. there's this big, like, orange and red plume, what's the word, plume of smoke that comes out, but you can't see anything in the window. 
there's a little window right there by the cellar door and it doesn't mm-hmm. change at all. Like you see no explosion, no smoke comes out of there, anything. Hmm. And even if it's glass, you should see something. Wah, wah. I like pointing out these little things. <laughs> yeah, but I, I usually yeah, yeah, I like to be pretty picky on these, but I feel like this whole sequence, there's just so much, because there's so much going on, there's so much that is inconsistent and doesn't make sense that it's just like, ah, <laughs> oh, there's there's just so much. Yeah, and even if though... only it, they had known. And I'm thinking, even though it doesn't make sense for like chip to be on this spring this is one of like my favorite parts as a kid i was like oh that looks like so fun he's you know twirling around on this little spring here it's just fun even though it makes no sense that he survived the explosion or that he's even in the cellar like it's fun i like that they did it that way yeah definitely one of the most memorable i think actions that chip has here yeah, that's true. I think like, he's just so cute. You guys gotta try this thing. You guys gotta try. That was one of the lines Bradley talked about. Anyway. Which then takes us back to the castle, and they give us yeah. this like great shot of, you know, outside of the castle, looking at the front doors, and there's so much going on here. Like, there's a couple men getting <laughs> thrown out of windows. There's one man stuck inside of the mouth of one of these, like, pillar lion things in the front oh is that what he's doing (laughs) he's he's stuck in the mouth of this lion pillar i'm like what (laughs) oh i thought he was flying he's stuck yeah he's he's in the mouth yeah i was like what i never saw that before either and then you see all that's awesome you see all these shadows in the windows of men like running away from other objects yeah i just noticed that one of the guys that get thrown out, he goes out and the cannon goes out with him. So we see the the cannon's kind of, I don't know if the cannon's pushing him out or if somebody pushed the cannon and he just happened to be behind it. But he gets thrown by the cannon and then the cannon topples down the steps and falls apart. Is that what was falling down the steps? I was trying to figure out, what is that? Is that a person or a thing? That's the cannon that they brought. Uh. So that's what happens to the cannon. Then you get the beer steins with tomatoes for some reason. And there's seven in the first frame and then only five in the next frame. And they're throwing tomatoes at a uh, big mustache guy that already got beat senseless. But he's he's back in action and angrier than ever now. Yeah, he's still in this fight, though. I mean, he's one of the good ones, apparently, on the bad guy side, you know, on the mob side. But he's fighting a rolling pin, and he's getting knocked out, and they're literally, like, throwing everything they can at him at this point. They're throwing tomatoes, scalding hot tea, and, like, that would be awful. They're giving this guy crazy burns. And then all the teacups are doing their little victory dance, and they're looking cute. (laughs) Jumping around. I never noticed they do little dances up there. <laughs> yeah, they're all jumping around excited, like, you know, we did something. And I'm like, look up here, you scabby scum. <laughs> and how did they get up there? Magic. Magic. Like, how do you get six teacups up on a ledge with your hot tea inside? Well, they probably went up without the tea, and then she gave them tea once they got up there. I don't know. She pours out a lot of tea herself, but maybe. They're little teacups, yeah. and they don't pour out too much, so. Yeah, they're all boy teacups, in case you're wondering. The girls aren't allowed to fight. 
Do the girls look different? I feel like all the cups. Yeah, they have eyelashes. Oh. Okay. Only the boys got to come. Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Let me see. Oh, wardrobe. So this is another moment where I'm like, okay, that guy's dead. His wardrobe does her, oh, and jumps off the balcony and like smashes the guy with a hoe. Best sneak attack ever. <laughs> did her geronimo moment and uh, she's pretty fierce looking and besides the fact that this defies i mean obviously it's magical but defies physics that when she lands on the guy instead of just squishing him between herself and the floor she lands on him he breaks the floor and so the floor is broken um instead of the floor staying solid and both the wardrobe and the guy getting smashed into a million pieces. And the, so. the floor isn't just broken. Like they're a foot or two down. Oh yeah. They're, <laughs> they're pretty deep in the floor. It's like, what? I don't think that would make any sense. And I also noted in this moment, like the sound of her crashing on the floor sounds like a piano being broken. Like there's a little bit of a spring to it. At the end, mm. I was like, I think they, they broke a piano for that noise. I don't know. I can't tell. I could hear it, man. I was like, something's weird about that noise. Like, it doesn't just sound like wood. It sounds like there are some strings involved. I doubt they would have broken a piano. They probably just, like, smacked a, the piano uh, piano strings. Yeah, maybe. But, um, yeah, I thought, you know... Why didn't this man move? If she's jumping from the balcony, I feel like he should have had a couple seconds to be able to just move away. Especially since she's like opera yelling. He has some warning. Well, he jumps. I mean, the we, he's walking and then she she's coming down at him and he jumps into the air out of surprise. But at that point, he's dead. Yeah. He doesn't touch the ground again until she smashes him a foot deep into the marble floor. Indeed. And then uh, then we end the minute here. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh. I had one more before the wardrobe jumps. Oh. In second 55, there's like on the side of the stairs behind this winged lion statue, mm-hmm. there's a dresser. And I've I've yeah. never seen this dresser before. And it's waiting there with a club. And it's like holding it like it has an arm. And I'm like, what? And there's a knife that like enters the scene from the left out of nowhere going yeah. going towards the dresser with a club. And there's a, a baby carriage rolling down the stairs. Like, what? <laughs> why is this baby carriage so late for the fight? And why is there even a ba- baby carriage in this castle? It's been like forever since there's been a baby in this castle and lastly there's this man chasing a table with what looks like a golf club to me like it that's the hoe guy that wardrobe squishes oh so they're doing a lot of saving each other eh I didn't notice that that a was the same. saving each other? Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. they keep saving each other. I mean that chair saved the stool and this this wardrobe is saving that table and they're just saving each other left and right. Gotta look out for each other. Yeah. yeah. And Mrs. Potts and her teacups saved the beer steins with their hot tea. They were about to get mm-hmm. axed or pitchforked or whatever weapon he had at that moment. Shoveled. Get a shovel. <laughs> shoveled. <laughs> he kept changing. But yeah, I thought 
that little bit was like crazy. Like they have so much going on in every corner of that frame, the baby carriage and the dresser and the knife and it's all crazy. Yeah, there's stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings us to the last the last second or two of the of the minute here. We go to Gaston and he's he's left the main fight. He's wandering down hallways. It looks like he's already kicked in a few doors and we get we get some sweet door kicking action from him as he kicks open the door to another room. And uh, we don't know what's in there yet. We don't see what he sees. Looks like he's kind of got a surprised face. But I just thought he's he's got some skills. I mean, he's the bad guy, but he, he does have quite a bit of skill here. He kicks open this door. He's got a bow and his arrow knocked in his other hand. And like as he kicks the door open, smoothly transition into him pulling the bow around at the ready for whatever's inside the room. And his cape's like all swooshy. And, you know, even though he's the bad guy, he's he's got some nice some skills right here some nice cape swooshing action well and he's kind of supposed to look like he could be a hero like in yeah in most of the other fairy tales there is this strapping dark-haired tall man who comes in storms the castle and you know saves sleeping beauty from a dragon or you know whatever it is so he's supposed to look like that like physical build and abilities and stuff he's supposed to be that guy except for the fact that he's conceited and you know tries to lock up a father (laughs) to blackmail her into marriage and stuff like he's got a twisted brain but (laughs) other than that i mean he he plays the part he looks like a prince storming a castle right here yep and that's how we end the minute he's in search of beast and uh and we'll see what he finds in that room in the next minute actually we won't dun 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 don't spoil the surprise <laughs> well probably people have seen this movie all right he, he doesn't find anything there's nothing he wants in there he just goes to another room well and you can tell that too because if it were i mean everyone knows like he's gonna find the beast and the beast is in his room and we already know the beast has those like beastie door handles and this door yeah. this door doesn't have like any handles somehow so he's not in the west wing yet might be in the west wing no it's not scary enough it's kind of rough looking though there's like some tattered <laughs> curtains and things uh that's all i have for this minute do you have anything else uh nope looks like that's it Well, that wraps up minute 72 of Beauty and the Beast. Thank you for sticking around, listening as we discuss this minute and get into way too much detail about about the big fight that's been happening. If you want to get a hold of us uh, before the next episode comes out or just to talk about whatever, don't forget to check us out on social medias. We're Beastly Minute on most uh, most of the big social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we're not super active on them right now, but if you get on and, and send us something, we'll reply to that. Be sure to go to the uh, Facebook group that we have, Beauty and the Beastly Minute Listeners Library. Join up there. We post pictures and some video clips and stuff from the film or any other interesting stuff that I happen to find. I'll post it in there and you can talk about it. Check it out over there. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on growlermedia.com got a bio over there you can check it out and get links to all my personal social media stuff and uh carrie doesn't want to talk to you guys so (laughs) there's no way to get a hold of her or is there nope (laughs) yep (laughs) i'm just i'm just here to talk i'm not here to listen to other people (laughs) 
Speaking of listening to other people, make sure to check out Duo Hansen. They do our intro and outro music, and you can find them on YouTube. They got a great channel over there doing covers and and uh, all kinds of great stuff. So check out Duo Hansen on YouTube. Our podcast artwork is done by Megan the Cartoonist. You can find her on Facebook, Megan the Cartoonist. And until next time, you guys gotta try this thing. Bye. See Look up here, you scabby scum. All right. Well, then. Um, what do I usually say at the ends? You usually come up with something that's related. Until next time, you guys gotta try this thing. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, before that, how do I transition into all the stuff? I, I don't know. I guess that's it. So. <laughs> don't you usually thank everybody? Yeah, I gotta thank everybody. But I think usually like so, that wraps up this minute of the Beauty and the Beastly podcast. <laughs> Whatever. Alrighty. That was a weird sound. Beauty and the Beast. I'm keeping your bones.